everybody and welcome to Iced Up. This is season one, episode nine. We are here live in the Phillips Blackberry Man Cave. I'm Andrew Gullickson, sitting alongside Luke Lemire. Iced Up is brought to you by Striker Ice in Beavertail Bay. So we got out on the ice this weekend for the first time together. Um, got out on some great ice and uh, did a little bit of, of team searching and just had a, had a blast kind of splitting up and, and fishing some new stuff. Yeah, we took a lake that you and I fished a couple years back in open water, but I personally never ice fished it before. Yeah, I'd only been on it. I was on it earlier this year um, and didn't really have a a ton of luck, but didn't have a lot of mobility at the time. There's only four inches of ice, too. Right, and I I knew I was going to be able to get out this weekend. I got, with the holidays and everything, I got my honeydew list done on Friday. So, which was quite a feat after New Year's Eve, but got that done, and I knew I was going to be able to get out, so after I got everything done, I went looking through my Naviotics app and looking at lakes, I'm like, I'd like to try something different, we came across the lake that we tried yesterday, and I liked it for the mere fact that I sent out a group text to you, one of our good buddies, and my dad, and so we had four guys to be able to go out with, and it worked out great, because we actually kind of just by happenstance, split the teams. Yeah, there's kind of a, you know, I, I love chasing those basin fish and, and working it out. And our, our friend, too, um, had just a, you know, he really wanted to get out and chase some basin fish. And you and your dad, being, you know, more bluegill guys, wanted to go out, fish a little bit deeper off those basins. But we were still, you know, within eye contact, we could kind of yell back and forth. We were in an area that there wasn't a lot of people, so you could you weren't giving up anything, you know, across the lake. And it was just a lot of fun being able to fish the different patterns and say we're getting on on crappies out here, you guys could move out. And, and we actually ended up doing that. And then if you guys were getting in bluegills, you know, not only we have two people in each area, but we could work back and forth too to see what bite was going best. Right. And we set up in an area of where, for bluegills, me and my dad, of where I looked at the lake map. Yes, there were some cribs there. I had an idea where the cribs are, but you even with whatever mapping tool you have, you still have to go with either with your whatever locator you run or if you run a camera or whatnot to be able to find where the crib is. Uh, I got We got set up in the area. We punched our tip-up holes right away just to get them in the water, to get them to soak. Then we started going to look for panfish. And I went and punched tip-up holes while my dad was punching panfish holes. As soon as I got the tip up poles punched, granted it was two of us, or we all three lines of Wisconsin, and my dad and I both run two tip ups with peas plus our jig rods. But when drilling tip up poles, we usually drill obviously more than four in case your water depth's not right. You're not getting hit. This person's getting flags over here. Granted, you're still going to have to grab the auger if there's not a hole over there, but it's nice to have different options just for moving your tip ups around. So we got those set up and then started getting out the jig and as soon as I started 
I got set up to be able to jig, and I started hitting fish right away. And it was kind of nice because we had the crib set up, but we had a nice drop-off behind there also. You go 10 feet across the ice, you'll have, you could have dropped 15 feet. Yeah, we were only like 200 feet away from you guys, and we were fishing 55 to 65 feet of water. And we were running anywhere from between that 8 to 23 feet, and that was in the span of maybe 15 feet. Yeah, it's a pretty sharp break there, but I think the one thing, besides, you know, cribs being nearby, one thing that really kept those fish there where you had some pretty good weeds, which is something I haven't run into much this year. Again, I've been in the basins, but right. having some good green weeds down there helped a lot. And then just by happenstance, we were actually on a weed edge, because if you went over to the backside of us where we were fishing, there was actually a couple permits, light permits set up. Yep. I mean, we had, I'd say, about that seven and a half to eight inches of ice on the lake yesterday, and... We we were on happenstance on being on a weed edge, so it was kind of nice. If you went farther that way, you didn't have weeds. It was a sandy bottom, which is, I think that was kind of why my dad ended up pulling a walleye out on his jig rod. Yeah. He, he was a short, he had to throw him back, but it was fun to catch. Yep. I think you were kind of right in that transition area between the weeds and that, that harder bottom, and then kind of right out of the basin where they could move vertically a little bit. They had weeds there to go hide in, and then you had... You know that line that the walleyes are patrolling, and possibly some pike. You had a couple couple flags there. We did have a couple flags, and that's right before we did the jump because you you and our buddy made the decision to go and jump to a different spot. You came in by us for a little bit because we were th- it was right about that time where we still got time to be able to go and make a jump to a different spot to see if they're still going to be active or not, or come in by us to be able to go and we had to pick the gills yesterday. Yeah. Not, not a lie. We we end up with our average gill was probably that nine, that eight and three quarters. We had some eight and a half. So we had our largest one was nine and a quarter. But the a nine inch gill is a nine inch gill. Yeah, they, they were they weren't very tall. They weren't the fattest things in the world. But it's a nine inch gill. You still get a good fillet off of them. Yep. And what we found early on, and I and I know, like I said, I fished this lake once this year, and I kind of from studying the maps, I kind of know what's going on with it a little bit and the basin we were in had some fish we'd run into them we marked a waypoint because we we ran into some crappies they're pretty lethargic they're way down on the bottom of the basin and they weren't they weren't coming up real fast so with it being super cloudy and foggy out i figured if anything they'll come back in the afternoon you know once you get a higher sun maybe maybe they'll fire up they weren't doing much and when we came over by you guys you're kind of in that mid-morning lull where fish had slowed down a little bit. So we decided to make a big jump uh, to another basin and immediately started catching crappies and some some better ones, some of the best crappies we've caught this year, but it was a short flurry. And unfortunately, by the time you guys moved, and it was kind of dying by you guys a little bit, by the time you guys moved, crappie bite was pretty much dead for the morning. Yeah, it might have it was just like perfect miss call i would say <laughs> and we've talked about it before on uh, doing your big moves and stuff like that it's you've said it before it's should i stay or should i go and hindsight's always 2020 we picked up and moved right after we got our two flags yeah my dad got hit and got stolen he pulled that tip up because we were planning on moving and actually moved a different tip up that he had his other tip up he had set up back into that hole because I got 
a flag on it, and then he ran out about, I'd say, six and a half feet, scaled, scaled the shiner, and dropped it. Mm-hmm. So, at that point in time, and like we said, or like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. I'd going back to it, I'd almost rather probably just stayed to see if we did get some tip up action that the jig rods died. That way you can, and that's usually during a lull like that, you you can get on a decent tip up bite, yeah. where that's the time you fire up your grill. You don't have to be managing a rod or something like that. There's enough tip up holes out there. Go drop a third tip up in. Let it marinate and stuff like that. Go and watch tip-ups, get something to eat, get a game plan of what you're going to do if you're going to go back and hit the same holes, you're going to drill more holes or whatnot. But we, it's it's so hit and miss on anything you do. Yeah. It's always, well, we should have did this. Well, that's with everything you do. Well, and there's, you know, I try and take a lesson away every time I'm out on the ice or out in the boat. I think this one was... We had biting fish over there, so maybe we should have tried to beat them up a little bit and stay in that spot. Um, you know, kind of looking back, that's probably probably what we should have went and done. It, it was it was just tough though, because we went two fish that got fired up right away, and uh, there's some real quality there. I mean, we were marking fish in every single hole, type of thing, and and some better marks and catching too. That was the big thing. Is I I knew there were a lot of fish out there. I've been out there before. I knew there was a ton of fish, but we were catching. I thought that would keep going because it was already probably eight thirty, nine o'clock, and we were still catching. Right. So I thought, okay, this will go through, and if we get, you know, four people out here, get a few minnows going or something, maybe we can keep them around. And they just shut right down. And it, you know, maybe at that point we should have turned around, and went back, but it's dead. Yeah, woulda, shoulda, coulda. Yeah. <laughs> no. One thing we can take away from it though is that. Both of us, we had talked the night before about where we were going and stuff like that, and both of us using our Navionics app on our phones, going through and looking at the lake maps and everything like that. We had spots picked out that we wanted to start at to see what would happen and stuff like that. And the plus side on that is that the spot both of you and I picked out, yes, you marked fish, you were getting hits out there. Mm-hmm. We were marking fish and pulling fish out of the ice. Did you pull a fish? You guys pull a fish at that first spot? Not no, the first spot. No, I missed a couple. But it, you did. You did get hit. Yeah, there definitely. There. I got dunked a couple times, but it, it just got yeah, 58 feet. It's tough to tough to get some hooks in with it. And that's light. and that's <laughs> a small victory in itself. There, where you just do the homework beforehand and look at it and be like, all right, the spot I actually picked out on the map and went to to try and fish actually produced or yeah. produced in its own way. Like I said before. My dad and I were pulling fish. We had to sort through them, but we were pulling fish. Yeah. You guys were getting hits out there, whether you needed to change something up or it was around time of day or the weather conditions or the sunlight or whatnot. But the spot you picked, you did get hits on. Yep. Yeah, and there's definitely fish out there. Where we first where we first stopped and drilled, we didn't find anything. Kept working up to kind of a uh, underwater valley. <laughs> to where I thought that maybe those crappies were pushing plankton up to this kind of pinch point. And when we finally hit it, that's where we were marking two, three, four fish at a time. Just really, actually, they were going a little bit, but they just weren't coming up off bottom yet. I, I do think it was a little early in the morning for those basin fish. Especially being down that deep, trying yeah. to get sunlight in the fog cover that didn't break till 3 o'clock in the afternoon did not help any at all yesterday. Yeah, that trying to get sunlight in there, because we don't have that much snow on the ice right now, and it's pretty light and fluffy. So light's going to penetrate through that pretty decent. 
Yeah. And overall, I really liked our approach. We were, you know, fishing different patterns within an area to try and figure out what was best. Um, stayed extremely mobile. I had my snowmobile. It's a two-up, so we were able to throw everything in the shack and zoom across the lake if we wanted to. Um, you guys had the four-wheeler. Yep. Pretty easy to move, too. Yeah, I mean, and it's nice. We're still at that nice period right now where we don't have a ton of snow where a four-wheeler is not going to get you through unless you got chains on there. And that's the other thing I did, too, this time out is that I made sure I threw the shovel and uh, shmay sled go, going out. So that way, if you do get high-centered or get stuck and can't go anywhere, you can dig your tires out and get going. Yep. But tire chains are probably a thing is if you have a four-wheeler that you're putting in for ice fishing or using for ice fishing purposes, it would be a solid investment. So that... It was nice that we were mobile to be able to move. Yeah, and another thing that that uh, was new for you this trip, Luke, was this is the first time you had your you got your uh, you got yourself your Christmas present striker bibs. Yeah. What'd you think of that first time out? Well, first time using them, and it's the old adage of anybody that's well, especially Wisconsinites that deer hunt. The old adage is, uh, you can't put it on if you don't have it. You can always take coals off or take coals off. I did not need long johns yesterday. <laughs> I guarantee the sides of those bibs were open three quarters of the day, especially if you're moving around and hole hopping and stuff like that, or even just getting camp broke down or camp set up or whatnot. I'm like, holy balls. They are they are definitely warmer than almost anything you're going to wear. Those striker predators, I if I'm going to walk out, if I've got a long walk, I'm either all the way zipped or they're not going on until I get there because they are so nice and warm. Yep. They are toasty. And that was the other thing I, I forgot to tell you is you don't really, especially, well, unless you're below zero, you probably don't want uh, a long john underneath your jeans or sweatpants. Well, exactly. <laughs> and, like, you could have told me that, but yeah. for me personally, I've never had them on before, and everybody's body temperatures run different. You still I, would have tried it, yeah. I think my wife would have probably thrown about 17 hand warmers in each leg to uh, try and stay warm with those. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, it was, those things are just, and the knee pads on them. Oh, my God. They save you like crazy. And yep. they're so durable. I've slid across jagged, nasty ice sliding, running for dip-ups for, you know, having fun with the guys. I haven't ripped a pair in eight, nine years. I finally got a new pair this year, but I it was basically just off grade. Yep, and then my dad actually uh, got a striker jacket after listening to the podcast and stuff like that. He'd had a, he bought a set of bibs before that last trip that you and I did to, out to the Dakotas years ago. Yep. And his bibs are so good. They got the knee pads in them and stuff like that, and they keep them warm, which by all means. But he hadn't had a jacket yet. He's done, like, I don't have a jacket yet either, but... I run, like, yesterday you didn't really need a jacket. No, most of the day I didn't even wear mine, except for when I was up snowboarding. Right, because you're making a good trip across the ice. And I think the jacket would have saved me trying to save my uh, dad's bet, because yeah. they had that fiasco yesterday. Yeah, I had a chuck loosen up. <laughs> I had a chuck loosen up, and I bought a clam plate for my dad secondhand, and they must have tore it down once, and put the bearing block in upside down. So he had issues with it last year, so we did some work on it, and I took it apart the way it came apart. Yeah. And evidently that wasn't right because the bearing kept loosening up on it. Well, the bearing loosened up, chucked loosened up. I got done drilling a hole, and there goes the auger. <laughs> it was, I still had slush in the hole because I had just got popped through, and it was pinging off both sides. I went shoulder deep into a hole trying to save that auger, and I ended up hitting it with the tips of my fingers as it was going down. Yeah, and... 
so we, we luckily I had mine out there. We had a couple of augers, but most of the time, especially for the because you guys needed tip of poles, I had my eight inch light flight out there, and on that nine amp battery, I got at least 130, 140 holes. I'd on say a nine amp. I'd say between I say right around like 130 is probably right. Yeah, and we're running. So it depended where you were. The first area was more like eight inches down. Down the second area, I'd say it was actually closer to nine and ten because it's had a lot more, you know, vehicle pressure on it. And yeah, I, I was really impressed. I brought one backup battery, easily got through the day. Switched lakes later in the day, and with uh, with our buddy and and drilled all our holes with that with a small five amp to to finish out the day. And yeah, between four guys. We used the other auger a little bit, but pretty much drilled all our holes on one battery. <laughs> yep, between, because since we lost a bit, and my auger, my gas auger that I actually fired the night before in the garage, got running, did not want to work for me out on the ice. So I ended up having to borrow an auger because my dad's bit went through the ice. Yep. And my fault, I did not bring my batteries in for my drill and the bit you gave me into the house the night before. So, granted, they're, st they're on chargers, but I didn't trust them. No. So, didn't even bring them in with the kitchen sink I brought yesterday. I didn't <laughs> know if I'd have freaking room for them. So, we're going to do a little bit of adjustment for the next time out where the gas auger is just going to stay home. And I think that thing might actually be done. So, we'll, I'll go and get set up where I it's not going to take much for me to get set up for my drill set up. I'm going to run a drill set up for the time being and stuff like that and then might actually look into just an electric auger because i do like the setup of an electric or an actual auger where you're sitting up higher i know there's extensions you can buy for your drill and stuff like that but i do like an actual auger setup yeah like we talked about with with tony roach in the 24 volt you know having that auger set up as an ice machine that's made for ice fishing Something I've been considering too. I think there's a lot of you know a lot of wants even for me for ice fishing yet this year, where I've got the light flight and I feel like that's kind of locked up. But I'm gonna go to a six inch here for most of the rest of the year just to get make sure I got more holes and I can uh, you know tear apart basins. I'm considering going to a 40 volt next year just so I don't have to go down to six inch at any point if I don't want to. Right. I mean. With the, speaking of Tony Roach, with that episode we had, uh, one of the people I know that listened to this podcast was bouncing questions off me left and right after listening to that episode because he was running an old gas hogger that probably runs like mine now that didn't run like that last time I had it out. Even doing <laughs> after all the stuff we talked about, about maintaining it, starting it up during the off season and stuff like that. And he was wanting to know what he should do and stuff like that set up. And I told him, I gave him my ideas. And he was looking at the cost between everything and from going to do the drill to what he would need to be able to go to uh, Strike Master 24 volt. And he went the 24 volt range. And actually, where he got it from was running rebates and rewards and stuff like that. And he got it for a very reasonable price. And he texted me the other day and said that thing just rips through ice. Yeah, they do. And you, I mean, you saw what it was like to run that light flight on a drill. Going yeah. electric is awesome and i'm glad we finally brought you over i thought we might this year but well, especially like i said before i we were talking about before i uh, i wanted to go electric but my gas auger was still getting me by where it worked right now that wasn't the case 
yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't get some bit started on the ice. I'm like, all right, no, it's this thing's done. I'm not going to screw with it. I'm not putting any more money into it. We're going to go to something that I know is going to run. So I ran gas for the longest time. It treated me well. Now it's done. I'm not going to go back into a gas hogger. Right, yeah, at this point. Right, and the nice thing about the actual, like the Strike Master 24 and the Strike Master 40 and the ions and all that jazz is that those batteries are made for your cold. They're not the yeah. they're not the battery that you put on your drill to be able to go out. I mean, I will say my my Milwaukee's. I you know I've, I've seen it in the forums too. I have not had cold problems with them, but I I wouldn't leave them. I wouldn't specifically leave them out in the truck and expect them to be good like you can with the twenty four volt and the forty volt. Those lithium auger batteries are cold hardy. Right, and that's the other thing too. Is like I, you gave me a bet to be able to run off my drill, and I did it. And I don't have. I'm running amp and a half to two amp batteries because I have about four or five of them sitting here. But so the trick I did is that it, through I forgot what club I was in for this. I got a little small insulated cooler. Mm-hmm. So I throw they my batteries fit and they're great. What I do, I take the big body hand warmer, get it, open it up when I'm getting ready in the morning, get my coffee, get them set up so that way it's actually good and rolling. Throw my batteries in that thing and throw the body heater in there. Yep. So that way you're keeping your batteries warm. That's the biggest thing is your batteries get cold, that's where they're gonna lose. I don't care if you got lithium, NICAD, whatever. They're if they get cold, yep. they're gonna get weak. That's one reason I run a clam plate, is because so many I mean you can try and keep your auger off the ice all day, but I guarantee you sooner or later there's going to be a fish down a hole and you're just going to drop the auger and throw a jig down and you're going to be laying that battery right on ice. I can tip my clamp plate on the side, stick the battery up in the air, at least it's keeping it off the ice. It's still cold out and it's still going to get a little colder, but it's going to keep it off the ice and it keeps most of my auger off the ice so it's nice and warm when I go to pick it up and drill more holes too. Right, and the nice thing even with the clamp plate on there is that there's a little bit of a gap there between the ice and your battery. The only thing you gotta worry about is dropping it in the snow. Yeah. The other thing, if, not, if that's the case, you just gotta be conscious of what end you're dropping down, your battery side or the other side. If you flip it 180, then your battery's gonna be high up in the air. Now, if you got extremely cold temperatures, then it's still gonna take effect. Because I know a lot of people that mm-hmm. go and do it are, they get done drilling holes. Because they found their spot, they got the base can set up, they got their heater in their hub or flip top or whatever they're running for a shack. They'll go and take it in there so it stays mildly warm. It doesn't have to be roasting warm. You have to set in front of the heater. Or if they don't have a shack or anything set up, they're setting it inside their coat closer to the body just to keep yep. it out of the elements and out of the cold. Yeah, throw it in the pocket. It's really easy to clip them off and you know just take them with you. So, but one thing that we've both run into is there's a lot of people out ice fishing this year and that's a great thing but when you're trying to get a little peace and quiet it's not so good and yeah not, we saw a lot we yeah. saw a lot of people yesterday and one thing i didn't think i would see yesterday with us right in between what anywhere from six to we'll call six to eight inches that we ran across yeah. yesterday for ice thickness we it might, might have caught little... nine ten but I, it, it's that's on the thickest spot yeah and what did we see come down like yesterday? Oh, there was, was Chevy Tahoe driving down, cracking ice everywhere. I couldn't believe it. 
<laughs> I was, Dad and I were in, in shallow water. We were fishing anywhere from 18 to 21 feet on that set, on that move we did, where we came over by yeah. you guys. And I'm sitting there watching my locator. All of a sudden, I got one chasing. All of a sudden, he dropped down, and I hear you, are you seeing this? I turn around to look at you and look to see where you're looking at, and here comes a Chevy Tahoe down there. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. There was a couple spots, and I know that lake from, from being on it for work. There's a couple spots on there with some weeds that keep some open stuff. I was, I'll say, not super nervous, but I was cautious in a couple spots with a snowmobile. And because there's only with, five to six inches. You know? Same with me with a four-wheeler. Right, yeah. I was cautious with that because there's a couple really iffy spots. And, yeah, just, oh, man. So, please, check your ice before you're, you're driving on. There's definitely a time... Don't be a calendar fisherman. Just because it's January does not mean the ice is good everywhere. Maybe in northern Minnesota, maybe it's it's good. North Dakota, maybe it's good. It, over here, parts of Minnesota, Wisconsin, please still be checking your ice. And look, is there other trucks out there? There's only one, like, or maybe two. But And he got thank, lucky. Yeah, thankfully nobody went through the ice. You know, I, as far as I know, everybody got off safe, but just... Please check your eyes first. Uh, with that being said, a great thing to do if you want to get a, get away from the crowds is start looking at some of the rivers in your area. Um, no matter which state you're in, if you're in the ice belt, there's at least a few rivers probably that have some freeze up, some backwaters, and they can be awesome walleye spots. And they can be some of the best early bluegill, bluegill and crappie bites I've ever been on. They're on tiny little backwaters off a river. And our, our guest today, because we're back to kind of a normal program, is a guy that um, I, I've known for a couple of years now, absolutely amazing guy, specializes in the rivers, river systems, finding walleyes and bluegills in, in backwaters and actually in main current areas. And he's um, just a great guy to fish with. We actually filmed the show together this year. And um, so without further ado, I'd like to bring in Larry Smith. Hey Larry, how's it going today? Hey Andrew, it's going absolutely awesome. I'll tell you what, uh, we're on the road traveling tonight, and uh, let's, we do a lot. You know, we do a lot of, put a lot of miles on it. We ended up putting over 50,000 miles on our vehicle for the show. Oh, and really, that's what separates us, I think, from a lot of other shows is that we do do a lot of, a lot of road cruises and fish with a lot of different people. Yeah, you guys are all over the place, um, seeing a ton of different people, and uh, you tend to tend to cover the area really well. Um, so, what we want to get into today, Larry, is something that you do quite a bit, and you, you know, with your guide service and everything else, is fishing rivers. So, um, how do you go about your approach? How do you decide when's the right time to be in in the river? I'm definitely a river guy, open water, and ice fishing is definitely my favorite place to, to spend my time. And, uh, you know, when you look at, like, the last couple of years, we've had a lot of high water in the fall. So that really, you know, that really attracts a lot of fish, you know, from walleyes to crappies to bluegills up into them areas. And really, you know, it can be some of the most productive fishing there is. 
when you're looking at systems like the Winnebago system that has a lot of river going through it. So earlier in the year, like where do you start? What's your kind of your progression on rivers? Do you go? Um, do you go there right away? Are you a backwaters guy, or do you wait and get into the walleyes? Yeah, as soon as the rivers are safe enough, you know, we're fishing. We're fishing the backwaters right away, um, obviously, because there's not as much current. And that's typically not as good for walleyes, but it's really good for, for, for pike, and it's really good for bluegills and crappies. Okay, when do, you, when do you transition out? Is there a time, like, that the... The bite starts to tell you, or what's the you know what sends you out of those backwaters? Well, basically, we're checking them all, you know. And uh, as soon as it gets safe enough, you know, we know because we're fishing there all fall long. We know the areas that the fish are in, and uh, you know, that's one thing about backwaters on a river. It doesn't really take a lot of depth of water to hold a lot of fish, you know. That when the ice or the oxygen levels start dropping, that they can just slide right out into that current. That they're going to have obviously an escape, and they're going to have good good oxygen. Okay, that's a great tip. Um, so once you're once those fish are out in the river, when you guys are scouting and checking, what what are you looking for? What are you uh, you know? Is it in the, you know? What I'm doing is early in the morning and in the evenings, I'm, I'm fishing basically flats that come out of them big holes. And, you know, like in the wolf, there's a lot of holes in there that are from 20 to 30 foot. So um, what I'm doing is early in the morning and in the evenings, I'm fishing up on top in front of them, them places like that, in a basically long line in jigs. You know, and sometimes what you're doing is you're using a jig that's heavy enough that your line is out at a 45 and you can get it to, to hit the bottom, but yet when you fling it up real high or fling it real hard, you can get that jig to like work its way down river, you know, sometimes a foot at a time, sometimes it's six inches, um, but that's the key is to be able to, be able to want that jig down current when you lift it up real high and fast. Okay. So most of us are used to fishing, specifically walleye series, I think what you're getting at. Um, we're used to fishing spoons and, and like smaller jigs through the ice. Can you describe for our listeners, like what are you, what types of jigs and what sizes are you using for long lining? Well, I use a lot of small boats. They work out really good. Um, again, it's, you know, that jig falls slower in the current like that. Um, and I think a lot of times that that's key. But it also is flat on the bottom, so when I do fling it up high or hard, that that current will actually catch that jig and skirt it down the river. Okay. So what size? Like, how heavy is that, generally? Well, and that, that's actually a really good question, but a lot of times it depends on how much current is in that spot on the end, you know? Um, you know, sometimes if you're in a, a long straightaway that goes into a, a real sharp then where you have that deep water, you're not going to have as much current. But other times when you get into shorter straightaways where it twists and turns a lot more, you're going to have more current. So the, the object is most of the time you're going to start off with like an ease and then go to a quarter. And some, there's even some spots, Andrew, that you're using a 3 solid jig to be able to work the spots. I mean, again, 
it's, it's, it's being able to know that you can find that bottom and control that jig. That's really what it's all about. So, and you can't really say that one way the jig is going to work for every spot because that's not true. Again, it all depends on how much current there is. Yeah, that makes sense, trying to figure out what you can make contact with without going too heavy. So, um... Yeah, and, you know, like I said, another, you know, the big thing is that, you know, like the Wolf River has a lot of, lot of twists and turns to it, so, you know, the, the current really can vary just from that alone. Yeah, that makes sense. So... What type of what type of tackle are you get, are you guys still using fairly light stuff or do you do you upsize the rod to match the the lure or? You know, I'm using I use all mags custom rods, but I'm using basically you know a, a, a medium action rod. Um, you know you want something that's stiff enough because a lot of times you could have you know you could have you know forty to sixty feet of line out so you can get a good hook set on the fish. And the other part is I'm using most of the time, I'm using a super braid, and then I always use a swivel with about, you know, a two-foot, three-foot leader. Um, basically, the super braid, again, is for the sensitivity, so I, plus it obviously cuts the current. And, uh, you know, the mono, um, you know, sometimes, you know, that water is fairly clear in the rivers, too, uh, you know, again, because you're not... You know, you, you know, basically you're not, when it froze after it freezes, you're not getting a lot of runoff and dirty and back up. So it's nice to have that in there. And you are, at, at times you are popping that jig pretty hard. So the other key is to make sure you have a decent swivel. Otherwise, because there's times where you pause that jig from the bottom just a little bit. And what happens if you don't have a good swivel in there, you're going to get a lot of spin to your line. You know, so that jig is going to spin. So it's really important. To, you know, spend a little extra money and have a good ball bearing, ball bearing, yeah, ball bearing swivel. <laughs> yeah. That, so when you're uh, so when you're targeting these fish, is it something that you can kind of get into a bunch of them once you find them, or is it are you picking away at them one two move one two move, or does it just depend? Well, a lot of times, you know, and there's, yeah, that's the other thing about a river is you got to remember there's always in a river. You know, the fish are always moving from hole to hole to spot to spot. The other key is too is, Andrew, when I'm drilling, I'm always drilling at an angle with my, with my, you know, with my ice drill. Um, so I'm not drilling straight down so my line isn't cutting the side of the ice all the time. Ah, that's, that's definitely a key. I could see that being a big thing with that current pulling you down. It's a big difference. Yeah. You definitely want to pitch that 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 auger, you know, obviously down downstream for sure. Try to get as much of a, a pitch on it as you can. So again, so your line's not, you know, digging into the, the side of the side of the ice. You the other part is here's another big thing. If you drill straight down when you're in that much current, you'll lose a ton of fish because when you're bringing them up, you're constantly because you know because of the current. Do you end up drill? Do you do you go with an eight inch hole or do you go bigger or does it? Um, like, you know, I pretty much run an eight inch razor on every piece. You know, and I 
you know, unless I'm missing giant fights someplace, and then obviously I'll go to a 10 inch spot. It's pretty rare for me to, when I'm fishing walleyes, it doesn't matter where I'm at. So I usually go with an 8 inch hole, with the exception of maybe fishing the Great Lakes or, you yeah. know, something like that, where you, you're, you know, have the opportunity to, to maybe hold up the walleye. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I've always been a fan of the 8-inch, and even I ran a 6-inch for years. You can get a heck of a good fish through that 6-inch hole. Um, and an 8-inch, you can do just about anything, and you don't have that risk of, like, snagging an ankle or, or if you got kids with, sending them, <laughs> sending them halfway down the hole. So with river fishing, then, is there anything else that you like to, that you can target? Are there any other species that you tend to, to find out in those river systems that are worth targeting? You know, you're, you know, you're, catching, you're catching sturgeon for sure. You're catching pike, you know. But in the main river itself, it's mostly walleyes and sturgeon and a few pike. It seems like you definitely have to get into the backwaters or or into the eddies, you know, where you'll start catching other species. And again, you, you, know, you kind of look at, you know, the backwaters of, of the Wolf River, the Wisconsin, because the water was so high. When it froze, there's a lot of fish in them backwaters. And, and the walleyes definitely like the current more. You know, where the panfish, they, they, they'd rather just sit out of that current themselves. Okay. So... When you're finding these places, obviously with a river, ice conditions are always uh, a little bit more treacherous. Yeah, you're one of those guys that, that tends to get out there and scout the rivers, and you know, ice safety on a river is certainly a little bit different. Are there any things that you recommend if somebody's going to go out and try and, and look for some fish on a river system? What's, what's a, you know, what are the musts for being safe out there? I don't. I don't care what time of year it is and how much ice is on the river. I always carry at least a hundred feet of rope with me, and usually, you know, some type of some type of throwable. Uh, um, and I usually have a nebulous with me. The one thing you got to remember: you cannot make a mistake on a river. You know, I mean, I've fallen into the lakes and stuff like that. And you have a real good chance of surviving. When you're on a river and there's a lot of current and you fall through, you have zero chance once you go underneath that ice of surviving. Yeah, it's one and done. You get up through that hole or you're not getting back up. That's absolutely true. I've heard you've, you've been through some, some water lately. Uh, I seem to remember a, a Larry Smith-sized hole on a certain lake here. <laughs> I don't like just one once in a while, you know, I'm kind of just a reminder, you know, always make sure you got your ice sticks on you. But when you're fishing a river, you know, especially early in the year, you guys got to remember that ice varies so much. Um, you can walk, you know, three, four feet, you could have 10 inches, and then you walk another three or four feet, you could have, you know, an inch. You know, it's just, you get down the edge of that strong current, it really... Varies. We're on a lake most of the time. You know, the ice is, is pretty consistent for the most part. Right. As far as, yeah. You know, as far as the thickness, but rivers are not that way at all. Yeah, that's a. You think you nail it on the head. It, you're gonna need your spud bar each and every trip, and it changes day to day too. I would think. Yeah, it does. I mean, and I would say always try to fish with somebody, but there's a lot of times on the river where I'm fishing by myself. 
but I run snowmobiles, so once I get down to a spot, I, I always park on the shore, and then I usually tie my rope off to a tree or something so that I think if I do fall through, I can at least pull my cell phone and have that rope with me at all times. Yeah, that's a great, great hand for, for doing that sort of stuff. It is. Yeah, I love rivers, like I said, they're my favorite, but it's one of the things where if you make one mistake, you know, you're not prepared, prepared for it, you're not going to have a second chance. So, I mean, they're great places, they're very productive to catch a lot of fish, it's a lot of fun, but you definitely got to you got to think about what you're doing, for sure. Oh, for sure, and I would say that it's probably one of those places that is a little bit more undiscovered like you've got a probably a pretty good chance of having a river bend to yourself through the ice because people are worried about the safety or it's just you know it's not a lake where people are used to fishing you've got that opportunity you might be able to get a little more ice to yourself but you have to be prepared yep that's a fact that's all the main pieces i love fishing rivers because there's not as many people for sure yeah and it seems like this year with with all the the COVID stuff, there's just a ton of people out, and finding that little patch of ice to yourself has, you know, is kind of it's awesome. <laughs> so that's a great opportunity to do that. Um, you know, and, you know that is something we don't like to talk a lot about the COVID thing, but I'll tell you something. The most positive thing that has come out of this whole thing is that it's really connected people with the outdoors again. Like there's like. The, the, the amount of license sales have gone through the book. Um, sales for ETVs, uh, anything that's connected to the outdoors um, is on fire right now, and hopefully it stays that way. Yeah, for sure. It'd be great to just get people out. I mean, it is harder when you're, you know, when you're a diehard. It's harder to find those, you know, unique spots. It's harder to find ice to yourself. But I think it's still better that we're getting people out there using it. And getting more people that, yeah, getting more people that have a realization of, you know, what fishing and hunting is all about, that's for sure a better thing. Even, yeah, even if, it's about spending time with your friends and your family and building memories. Yep. Yeah, Luke and I here, my, my co-host, were just out yesterday with, uh, with his dad and another buddy. And, you know, it wasn't the best, it wasn't the worst day of fishing, but we had some brats and we had, it was a great day. It was absolutely a great day. So yeah, that's cool. You know, again, that's really what the outdoors are about. I mean, I think now that you know we have so many more people enjoying the outdoors, it's really kind of got to think a little bit more about being conservative on what we're keeping now too, because obviously there's so much pressure out there that there's so many more people enjoying the, you know, obviously fishing. That again, it's something that you know things you take for granted. Yeah, I've seen it more and more this year that these lakes and these rivers and, and hunting-wise, too, the the game just needs to be protected and just be, be smart with it. Nobody's saying you can't take home some fish. I certainly have myself, um, and, you know, and you can shoot a limit, but just be be smart about it and, sh- you know, share with people, basically. Got kids. You got to share, you know. <laughs> But that is a fact for sure. So, all right, Larry, it's been been great having you on. I'll ask you one more question here, and I'll it'll be a little bit of head head scratcher possibly. But if there's one piece of of tech that you would recommend for 
if you're going to go out and fish a river. One, it, it could be gear, uh, something you wear, anything that you could go spend money on to go that would help you fish a river. What would it be? I think the safety equipment is number one. Yeah. yeah. For sure, just the safety equipment, just because really fishing rivers is a very simple thing. Most of the time you don't use electronics because your jig is typically so far down river that you're not going to mark it anyways. Um, and uh, it, you really don't need a lot. You just need, you know, a, a rod with, you know, with some jigs and, uh, you know, a couple dozen minnows, and, and that's that's about it. It's really pretty one of the simplest fishing you're going to get. All right. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's true. It, it's it's kind of back to uh, back to the the stick and line, and it, it's it can be pretty easy to get them if, once you find them and put the time in. So, well, Larry, we really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I'm sure we'll hear from you again. Yeah, have a good one. That's a lot of great information on fishing uh, fishing rivers, and it's definitely an amazing way to get out and fish a little bit differently. Fishing those heavier baits and in current is something that we don't do on lakes. And it's it's certainly unique, and you can get into some really good bites. I know Larry finds it all the time. And it's something I haven't tried yet. I, I've been in backwaters, but I haven't gotten out on those, those, uh, those walleyes in the main current. And definitely be prepared. Do it safe. Go with a buddy. But it can be really, you know, that gem, that, that something that breaks up your winter for sure. I'm in the same boat you are. I mean, I, as long as I've been ice fishing, I've always looked at rivers and stuff like that. The ice is so unpredictable on those. But like Larry was saying, you go through, you do your due diligence, and just treat every time as the first time you're going on ice because rivers change yep. dramatically. It could be a day. It could be a week. It's It could be hours. Yeah, hours when they open up dams. It gets sketchy, and it's one way, one time where I will say that, I mean, it's still nice to have the strikers on, but striker bibs ain't going to help you if you go through on a river. It, it you got to, you definitely got to plan ahead, but, yeah, uh, yeah. With being on a river, it's like you said, with our striker bibs and stuff like that, that's the time where your picks are either, you got the long cord going through your colt sleeves, or they're sitting right around your neck. That yep. way you know where you got to go and grab the bait rip them and put it in to be able to get back up on the ice if you go through. Like Larry said, you got one shot. Yep. And with us saying that, don't be discouraged about going out on rivers. There are good opportunities, even great opportunities on rivers. Larry Smith is one to prove yeah. that completely. You just got to take your time. Don't be bullheaded. Don't think you're invincible. Just take your time. It's, it doesn't feel right, or if you got a feeling, or whatever, if you got something where you're going through your spud bar and it doesn't sound good, either move up or down river, or just, don't take a chance. Just yeah, don't take a chance. Like we said with with the trucks earlier in the show, like there's just no reason for taking chances on on uh, on rivers. Just like there's no reason to take a chance relatively early ice. Correct. Just because there was, you know, at the landing there was 10 inches or 12 inches or 14 inches of ice is like being on a river and saying, well, I drilled a hole when I got on there's 12 inches. Like Larry said, 10 feet away, it could be nothing. One right. inch, just a sleek. It could have froze over the night before. You yeah. had no idea what it is. Yeah. We, have, we have a lake like that up here that has uh, 
area that just froze over. It was yeah, open. For, it's got a skim on it. And yeah. It's, the rest of the lake has 8 to 10. Right. So, yeah, definitely be careful. So, all right. With that, let's switch over. And we want to talk a little bit of our tip up tips and tactics. So, Luke, what do you got for us this week? Well, this week we're going to go through, basically, since we were lucky enough to get out on ice together, I'm going to go through what we did yesterday and actually go through some things you need to do with tip-ups of saying them and just even pulling them. So, like I mentioned earlier in the show, our tip-ups were the first holes we popped because I want to get those soaking and... You get those in so that way once you get on panfish and everything, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to want to leave your hole to go pop your tip-up holes. I mean, your good tip-up bite, whether it be northern, bass, walleye, what have you, is going to be at the same time that your jig rods are going to be popping too. So you're going to have to give one for the other. So when, in our scenario for popping tip-up holes, you... We did. I did my research on my lake map and stuff like that. And yeah, lake maps are always not that accurate. You might read them wrong, what have you. We were in shallow right away, and we actually screwed up and then go and check our lines right away to make sure we weren't wrapped in the weeds or too shallow or whatnot. Because both my dad and I had one wrapped in the weeds, so it wasn't going anywhere. That's not going to help anybody anywhere. So. We end up moving them out and stuff like that. Thankfully, we had holes popped that you just had to, it wasn't that cold out. You could just put your through through the skim and get it cleared out and be able to drop your tip-up in there. One thing that I know that I have to do to my tip-ups that my dad runs is a lot of people don't run any weights on their tip-up lines. Weights on tip-up lines are great. One for the mere fact of getting your minnow wanting to go down the hole. I've lost countless times of how many times I'm sitting there going, just go down the hole so I can get this damn thing into ice. They'll sit there and circle the hole. Big thing to do, put an egg weight above your sinker. Or above your sinker, Jesus. Above your leader. So that way you still have your 6, 8, 10, 12, whatever kind of leader, length of leader you're running for the middle still to move around. Put an egg weight on there to be able to get it down. The other side of that is... That minnow is not going to try and run away from that game fish. If it's got an anchor basically on there that it can't move, it's going to try and move around, but it's not going to be able to get away, so you're going to get more hits on that. Yeah, that's one thing I've always run is the egg sinker, and then I do a lot of uh, pinching the tail on my minnow. It depends on the day a little bit. Sometimes I want them more active, but if I've got really lively minnows or bigger shiners, I'm definitely pinching at least half of that tail off, and it seems like it gets me a little more bites. They don't have to chase it. They're lazy fish this time of year. Yeah, exactly. And that's another thing to do, too. If you get a false false pop on your tip-ups where you have an active minnow, I've done the same thing. I'm, I bought a set of mustard forceps that have actually a scissors built into them for cutting line or cutting whatever. What I use them for, I got a minnow that doesn't want to cropulate. I'm clipping the bottom tail. On it, bottom side of the dorsal, so that way it doesn't move as far. It doesn't have enough oomph. It can still get around. Yeah, they're going to wiggle. You want them to wiggle. Exactly. You don't want something sitting down there not moving at all, which is something to be said because a lot of people using herring and schmelt and stuff like that will say different. The only thing different with those is that you're getting getting the oils and everything off of there as that attractant coming into it. This is a live 
fish that is moving around. Other thing to be said, when tip-up fishing, even if you're fishing just like we did this year or yesterday, where you're fishing groups of two, make sure you and the guy that you're fishing with are on the same scenario of where both of you are going to that tip-up. It's not just the mere fact that the, whoever's flag it is, the other guy wants to see what comes out of the hole. There's logic behind it. Because when that flag goes up and you got you get up there and T-bar spinning and everything like that, when the guy's to, the guy who has a tip-up goes to pull it and start fighting that fish and starts feeding out line, you're there to make sure that that line is not ending up in one clump, especially if it's colder and bejesus out and that line is going to freeze in a clump as soon as it comes out of the water. That fish makes another run. Then you got rats that's going into going into a hole. Your job as a second person is to string that line out. And my dad and I do this quite a bit and we're on the same page where we've been doing it enough. One thing you kind of want to do when you're pulling a northern in or northern or whatever you get on your tip up is you want to start not really fast, but moderately moving around the hole. So that way you got somewhere for your second guy to be able to toss line out on the ice, making sure that it's not getting in a clump, it's sitting in string, single strands. So when that fish does or if makes its second run again, it doesn't want to come through that blazing hole of the sun's out, it can run again. The guy that's throwing the line out on the ice lets his hands go, let the guy that's using the tip up, that's fighting the fish on the tip up, go after it again. As soon as he starts pulling the line out again, start feeding it out again. So that way you're up there with it. Also, before that even happens, the guy who's going out to help him with the tip up, go grab the bait bucket, make sure, yell at the guy, and make sure he's got his forceps on him, make sure he's got his spreaders on him, because it could very well be a northern, because that's what I target for tip ups. So that way you have everything there if it's a short fish or if you're not going to keep it, to be able to get back in the water faster, especially if it's cold out. You get their fins to start to freeze and everything else, you might end up with a short fish that you really didn't want and want to deal with. We, we did have flags, but we didn't have a chance to do any of this. But we also did the same tactics and everything. We never pulled one through, but both of us went out there for everything. It's a team effort when you're going out with somebody. I mean, you're both there for the same thing. Help your buddy out. It's not, ah, I'm going to get this before you. Uh, no. Yes. Get out there, get fish on the ice, so, and have a good time with it. Yeah, once I've, you know, anytime I've been out, once somebody's hooked up, it's a team effort to get that fish. Everybody wants to see a good fish, or any fish, really come up. You know, even if it's not yours. It's still really cool to have that experience of being right there when the fish comes through the hole. You know you're part of it. It's just part of that that whole group and that that you know fun day on the ice is helping your buddy get get a good fish out or get any fish out. You never know what you're gonna pop. Exactly, and that's what what we had yesterday. And we you mentioned it when we were talking with Larry Smith. We had four guys out there. We split up into teams, but we made a, we ended up coming over here and move, and I packed a grill with and brought hot dogs with, and everybody put their jig rods up, and we had tip-ups in. We had uh, tip-downs in also, 
for lack of a better term for those. But you had them there and you're able to watch them and you just sit there and bullshit and have yep. a good time, eat some food and just talk about it. And we used it for doing for a game plan of what we we're going to do because we yeah. what we were doing wasn't working and something had to change what everybody was going to do. Yeah, what are we going to do next? And and what we ended up doing is splitting up lakes afterwards because we, we wanted to continue to chase uh, you know some of the deeper fish to so get in some good crappies. You guys wanted to get in some bluegills. The lake we were on, the crappie bite was just super negative after that morning period of like eight, nine o'clock. So we went to find some, you know, somewhere else and at least get that checked off the list, even if it was bad. And you guys went to back to the bluegills to see if they would come back on, and they did later in the day. Yeah, as soon as we got back in there, we got our like like we did setting up uh, first time on ice. We got our tip up set in right away. Our holes were so good, we popped some fresh holes and stuff like that to be able to get set up and as soon as we got the tip ups in went and started digging again and i think we put six more on the ice right away yep yeah and that's kind of the you know should we stay here should we go that probably was the bite we want we we should have stayed out and camped on a little bit but you just never know it's always tough sometimes you sometimes you make that call right Sometimes you don't. And even when we changed lakes, we were thinking about that too. Like anytime you make that change and you've got fish around, if you have nothing, make a change because there's fish somewhere. But if you've got fish around, it is always difficult to make a change. Sometimes though, it is definitely the better choice to, to move. Sometimes it's, sometimes you miss. Right. And with, with that being said, you and I have, different tactics on what we do for doing our change if i pick out a lake the fish that day i'm doing everything in my possibilities to try everything i can on that body of water i'm going to tear that lake apart trying different areas trying different depths trying different scenarios i'm going to make sure that i tried everything in my power to be able to try and get a fish to bite and everything could be against you on that too i'm not saying it's the right thing to do but that's my scenario where I, if I pick a lake, I'm there for the good part of the day. If I'm lucky enough to have the day to fish, right. I'm that running that right. lake. But and then you, on the other hand, you're very much one. Well, let's jump to a you. Let's try a different lake or something like that, which is fine to do. I, I'm not saying that's bad. You can do that. I'm just the one that like to tear that section of lake or that area lake or the entire lake because we have some lakes up here, especially we were on a chain yesterday where. Anywhere was a possibility yesterday. It's just how yeah. far you wanted to travel. Yeah, there's and and we had fish around. I think one one point to take away here was you had you had some biting fish that you could go back to. I think if we if we both really had nothing, it went to you probably I probably could have talked to you to change it with us. Um, and that's you know I talked a little bit about this and searching a couple weeks ago, but that's in my experience. There's usually some biting fish on the lake, but if you've got an overall negative pattern on a lake for a species, so we'll say crappies in a basin, if they're ne if they're negative here, most of the places are going to be negative. There's probably somewhere on the lake where you you've got some biting fish, but it's definitely in the majority, and it's going to be hard to if you if you missed it on your first you know try or two in the morning, it's going to be hard to get back on it. That being said, the lake across the road might be on fire, so it's definitely worth a change. On the other hand, where we were at, you had biting bluegills. Right. You had a sort, but you had biting bluegills, and then they kind of turned off. That's definitely worth going back to. 
Correct. Because you've got you've got positive fish. If those bluegills were like we caught two, they were super hard to get off the bottom. I'd have, I'd have been like, dude, we could, you should probably either make a big move on the lake to try and you know gamble, or try a different lake because most of that lake is going to be negative in my experience. Right, and then it's the old saying that goes too with what we were having with for granted. We had to sort through fish, but we were getting fish, and we really didn't listen to it yesterday. You don't leave fish to find fish. Yeah, that, but, but that is tough when you've got fish everywhere you went. <laughs> right. That, that, that's been, we've been plagued by fish this year, and I know that there's probably a lot of you that are, you know, flipping me off right now. Because, <laughs> you know, 50% of the time, it, you know, you're just looking for fish, just trying to find fish. I've been, you know, blessed by fish in almost every hole this year. Um, but so many negative fish, it's been an extremely uh, frustrating start to a year, actually. It has. I mean, God, it's only my, it was my second time out on the ice, and I was glad I did that trial run, just right. doing, doing a base camp setup and trying around a crib, and that's kind of how I went about my second standpoint, too, but we never ever went to the cribs. I had ended up setting the shack up just to dry out because I was soaked up to my shoulder, but we were still, we gridded everything out, I think I went eight feet between holes popped four wide five deep started there and we figured out that they weren't they didn't want to be deeper they wanted to be up in this area so just doing that grid pattern for popping your holes was great yep yeah you probably found kind of the weeds in that edge and they were there and they were they were fish that would bite so just finding that feeding window again and i think too on the crappies if we'd have stayed all day on those maybe put up some walleye tip-ups uh, we probably could have done all right getting into that evening bite again because they bit right when we showed up at 8.30. For about a half hour, we were doing okay, and then it shut right off. I think the the 3 to 5 probably would have been okay, too. And then we might have gotten some walleye tip-ups out there as well. It just wasn't something I wanted to, to hang my day on either. Right. Um, I've done that too many times. That golden hour at, at night is really boom or bust. It's a gamble. Right. And that's the thing. Like, it. We can sit here and talk till we're blue in the face about what we should have done, or right. should have done this, you could have done that. And that's that's one of the things that we love doing this for is that they make the right decision. Oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. I mean, that's the one thing that keeps you guessing. It always keeps you interested in. It. Well, next time I go on, where I try this and try this, I miss like and do this. It's whether you're ice fishing, hunting, open water fishing, what have you, it's the one thing that we love doing is that you go and plan out your next trip. Yep. Even if you didn't get anything on the trip you were on, okay, I need to do this different and see if this works. Yep, you look back, you analyze, and you take some of that, that little bit of data that you got from the last time you were out, and you try and apply it to your next trip. And, like, what I would do different is... I would probably go, if, I, if I'm if i going back to that lake, I'm going to target weed lines quite a bit. I might check the basins at some point during the day, but or maybe just fish them right away early. And then come in. And, and then come in. Yeah. And then, you know, go, if, I, if I'm planning a whole day or an overnight or something, I'll, I'll, you know, go back out there in the evening. But I'm going to be targeting those weed lines for walleyes and, and bluegills because it was a much better bite. That lake was had the bite for that. And I think we talked about it with Matt Johnson, too is if you're on negative fish 
it's probably not a good idea to stay. And I think that's why right. we made the change to go somewhere, whether it's a different lake or a different spot. Correct. Because whether they're on a different part of the lake, if you have a huge lake, or if they're in a different lake, if you're in an area that's got a lot of lakes in it, somewhere there's biting fish. And if you're on absolute slow bite, don't want to move fish, it isn't worth staying there. Right. And see, you you and our buddy had a different scenario than what me and my dad did. Yeah, you had biting fish. We had biting fish. We were sorting through them, but at least we were active and getting fish on the ice. So I knew that if we if we stick it out here, we'll be able to get enough to be able to put a fillet in our shoe. Oh. Hi. <laughs> and we did, we did all right. I mean, we had to pick through them, but we were active. We were very active. So I, I was very, I was very impressed with yesterday. Very pleased with yesterday about how the first time going out, actually going and targeting something, not just to get the setup to make sure it works right and stuff like that. And that's going to be every time you go out, but. Right. It, no, it was a great day. And even, so we, we changed lakes. I'm going to kind of wrap this up a little bit. We changed lakes and ended up on a pile of four to six inch crappies that actually kind of felt good to catch because they were biting actively <laughs> yep. and we didn't get any play. We went, we went to the lake that we went to for flags and we didn't get any, but um, I still think it was a pretty good, you know, it was a decent choice because I learned a lot. Like mm-hmm. I don't plan to go back exactly where I was again. It, you know, if I go to that other lake, I've, I've got some ideas or I, I might cross that one off for most of the year and try some other stuff because I know it's got a lot of fish in that four to six inch crappie size, you know, and they're they're going to be that way, you know, give it a couple of years and we'll be starting to see those nine times again. Right. So it's always learning, you know, no matter if you make the right decision or not, you can learn a lot from your day and it, it can be just a ton of fun. I, it was a blast. I, we didn't do that great. I, we caught a couple of really nice crappies. You, you guys you, got some really good gills. You guys, that one that damn near yanked the rod in a hole behind <laughs> our buddy there, and he goes, oh, I probably should pick this up, and that that was a thick crappie with one that measure out at. That was about 12. That was a 12-incher. And it that was, was only really, 12. I thought it was yeah, longer than that. Yeah, no, but it was probably the thickest crappie I've seen all year, and one of the bigger ones, honestly, that we've that we've run across the bite, the, the size of fish were there. The fish were there. They just haven't turned on. Right. And that may be to do with like we said, the weather patterns, uh, light intake to the water. Cause we had overcast at three o'clock yesterday and everything yep. else. It was, it's kind of tough. You almost yeah, curse the sunlight, but you think it at the same time, because that way the fish actually get into their patterns of what they're used to. And it, all that. I mean, it's a different world between open water and ice fishing for your light levels on there. 100%. I'm always trying to, you know, to cross a lake off the list or a a part of a lake off the list. And I don't think I could do that from the other day because there's so many fish. (laughs) I was, like I said, I'm kind of blessed. I mean, we, we marked hundreds of fish out there. Um, I for the lake that like first lake we started on yesterday. I yeah. would I would honestly give it another try. I would yeah. look at the lake maps again and see if there was a different area I wanted to try just to see if okay this might work a little bit better since we never targeted the cribs on this area. We actually just went off the drop off here. Yep. And another thing I'm looking for on lake maps too is a good flag bite because I'm very much tip up fishing when I'm out there. 
for the early season because our tip-up season ends the last week of February, first week of March. It depends on how the calendar hits and stuff and everything. So once that hits with the late ice, then I want to pound panfish pretty good. Don't get me wrong. I'm still looking for panfish while I'm out there, but I'm looking for getting northern yeah, on the you ice. Want get, you want to get a little bit of both. And that's something to, to take away, too, is, you know, finding those spots. Like we said, we had two different tactics and hitting it a different way, and we both ran a lot of, you know, ran where we could run tip-ups if we wanted to. Right. So, yeah. No, I think it's a it's a great outing, and I hope hope you guys take a little bit away from from our mistakes. And like I said, it, it was a great day on the ice. So, yeah. that's really all you can ask for. It was, it was a full day on the ice, and, you know, we, we, everybody, every single person caught fish. Yep. Um, we all were marking fish all day long on fish and, and the talking back and forth, the moving, the planning, all that stuff is the stuff I really enjoy about fishing. So do I. I mean, that, that was the, trying to wrap this up here, like you said a little bit, but it's a nice thing to have a group out like that where you have other pods going to do stuff and figure out what's working for somebody. If they get on a bike to be able to go over there. And what we're going to wrap this up here. Like we've said in previous podcasts, if you have questions for us, don't be afraid to message our Facebook uh, get a hold of us on Instagram, ask us questions. We can either answer them throughout our show or we can message you directly to uh, try and help you out if you feel like we're actually helping you, which I hope we are. <laughs> yeah, so far we've had a good response. But, yeah, check us out on Facebook, Iced Up, and on Instagram, Iced Up Podcast, and let us know what you have to say. Definitely follow us. We're on Apple Podcasts. Um, you can check us out on uh, Buzzsprout. I definitely post our our post on uh, on Facebook every week when it comes out on Wednesdays at usually at five o'clock in the morning. Um, and we hope we uh, that you're learning a ton. We're learning as we're going, and we're having a great time doing it. We hope you are too. And thank you for listening to I Stuff. Are you kidding me?